You and I might spend about 70 to 80 years on this earth. Not long when you consider the timeline of eternity. Have you ever wondered what life is all about? Every day we get bombarded with the message to pursue the things of this world. Make money, get stuff, be comfortable, live well. More, 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 and me, me, me. That's the prevailing message of our day. Our generation has a hijacked version of the American dream. But as Christians, we know deep down this distorted view of life isn't real life. We read what the Bible teaches and we see how Jesus lived. Every day we face a choice to pursue the me, me, me mindset of the American dream or to pursue Christ. What if this generation was willing to trade in the pursuit of the American dream for a world that desperately needs Christ to be traders? A trader is a new kind of missionary, not defined by geography. Where you live doesn't make you a missionary. The mission you're on makes you a missionary. Being a trader is a movement that requires us to live out our faith, not just talk about it. As a trader, we must choose daily to sacrifice and be intentional with our time, money, and skills. We can be like the Good Samaritan in the parable. When we're on the road of life and see someone in need, we choose to help. We follow Jesus' instructions to go and do likewise. A trader must hate injustice and find specific ways to bring the hope found in Jesus to desperate situations. It's easy to identify what you hate. What makes your heart break and your fists clench? A trader sees work as worship. Everything you do in life, including your job, can be an opportunity to worship the God who created you. Because God is glorified when we use our God-given passions and skills with excellence. And finally, a trader must act swiftly because the time is right now. The result of all this would be a generation of traders who are making choices with their time, money, and passions that are kingdom-focused and not self-focused so that our short time here can have an eternal impact. So we've seen these videos over the last couple of weeks, um, and, and the crux of these have been to get us to understand and, and engage and embrace this idea that, um, very simply, you are a missionary. That's what it comes down to. You are a missionary. Uh, we have this, we've bought into this cultural idea. You can go ahead and throw those slides up. Uh, we've bought into this cultural idea that missionaries are those that we send. And we do send missionaries and we commission them and we send them and it's awesome and they, and, and, and they do God's work in other places. By the way, we're going to get to here. I really, um, you're here this week. I really appreciate that. I know that it gets a little tricky uh, when July 4th lands in the middle of a week because then you're not sure which weekend is your July 4th weekend. Um, some of you are going to take both of them, and that's fine. But, but I'm really glad that you're here, but I really hope you can be back next week. The whole reason I say that is because I really want you to be back next week so we can hear from Matt and Amy Klein. Uh, and Matt is going to bring us a message. He's going to preach to us next week. And Matt is one of those people that we think of when we think missionary because that's his vocation. He is a vocational missionary. He goes overseas in hostile territory to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those that need to know it. He brings by virtue of the power of the Holy Spirit in him, he brings life where there's death, hope where there's hopelessness, and light where there's darkness. And that's good. And we celebrate guys like that, families like that. But hopefully what you've seen is we've now, we're getting into week three of this, this text, uh, hopefully what you've seen and what you will continue to see is the call is simple. You also are a missionary. Not by vocation, but by mission. 
See, as a Christ follower, you are first and foremost designed, created, sustained, and empowered to be on mission. That's why you exist. Regardless of how you earn your living, regardless of how you get your paycheck, and we're going to continue pushing that theme, and we are going to continue um, pushing that understanding because when we understand our missional mindset, when we understand that we are first and foremost missionaries of God in hostile territory looking to advance the kingdom, then things change in the city that we live in, in the county that we live in, uh, and, and we can see some movement and some revival in those things that we've been praying and pushing and hoping for. And so all of that's happening. Okay? But the reason we watch these videos is we, we want you to continue in that mindset. And I hope you, you see it so clearly as we read through uh, the book of 2 Timothy. Okay? But a couple quick announcements before we jump too far in. Hey, listen, you've been hearing about it. CSI starts um, in two weeks. Okay, two weeks from tomorrow, we kick off CSI. That is morning and afternoon sessions for two weeks. So there are four sessions of CSI. If you've got elementary-aged kids, let's get them signed up for this. It's a great summer school with Christian faith-infused program to get them geared up and ready to get back um, into the academic calendar. If you know some kids, you can be encouraging them to this. There's more information on our website on our Facebook page, um, but also we could still use a few volunteers to, to do um, odds and ends and things, and so holler at me, holler at Megan if, if you've got some time uh, that you want to volunteer for some of that, okay? Uh, Pizza with the Pastor is coming up in a couple of weeks. If you are newish here um, or you just really dig pizza um, and you've not been before, uh, come join us for Pizza with the Pastor as we uh, just, it's a good chance to, to meet myself uh, and, and Carrie and uh, some of the other staff here at the church and just find out more about who we are, get to know us, get to be known by us. It's just a good time to, to dig in there. And then uh, one more thing I don't have a slide for, but something that we are excited to be doing with Revolution Church. Um, and it's not a Blessed Hope Revolution thing, it's just... It had to have somebody launch it, and we decided to launch it together. But starting on July 9th, that is a week from tomorrow, every Monday afternoon, and some of you work out of town, and this can't apply to you, and I'm sorry, but for those of you that work in town and get a lunch hour, or for those of you that are retired, every Monday, starting on the 9th, every Monday, we will be meeting together from 12 to 1 to pray, to pray for our community to pray for revival in this place, okay? And so that is open to everyone. We are inviting everyone to come and pray. You don't have to be part of Blessed Hope. You don't have to be part of Revolution, but we are doing that every Monday from 12 to 1. We're doing it at Revolution's downtown building. Show up, come in, pray. And uh, uh, you'll be blessed, and, and I know that the, that the community will be blessed by that effort. And so... Uh, get that on your calendar. It's every Monday. It's, it's a big deal, and uh, we just encourage you to be there, okay? All right, boy, that was a lot of announcements. Now, 2 Timothy. This is week three of our series, and we are now all the way into chapter two, so we're really booking it, um, and actually we are, if you think about that. I mean, chapter one's got a lot of good stuff, right? Week one, in, in, uh, as we started this, we said, look, um, that... 
if you are going to be approved for service by God, you need to be rooted in faith. And that was the call. As Paul says to Timothy, look, I am rooted, and I'm calling you to be rooted in the gospel. That's how we do this. Okay, and then last week we were told that we need to be unashamed of the gospel. The whole crux of last week's, um, last week's sermon, uh, of, of the words that, that Paul was sharing with Timothy there at the end of chapter 1, were just simply to know that if you are going to be a minister of truth, because we're all missionaries, this is not like a professional gig that you get to sit out and just watch from the sidelines. Okay, we are all missionaries. We are all supposed to show up as approved for service by God. We're all doing this. And the way to do that is for you to be unashamed of the gospel. And the reason that you need to be unashamed for the gospel is simply this. There's two reasons why you must, as a Christian, be unashamed by the gospel. Because one, it is the gospel and only the gospel that will save you. It is the gospel and only the gospel that changes lives. It is the gospel and only the gospel that will make an eternal difference. And two, you need to be unashamed because the gospel is, was, and will always be under attack. See, and Paul knows this well, and he's, he tells Timothy this in the letter, and he will continue to tell Timothy all throughout the letter that the gospel of Jesus Christ is always under attack. And sometimes it's under attack in ways that are easy to spot. They are um, overt attacks where people will tell you that the Bible is ridiculous, it shouldn't be trusted, uh, that Christianity is stupid, that God doesn't exist, or that if God does exist, he's nowhere, anywhere close to what the Bible says he is, that there is no such thing as the resurrection. Sometimes there are what we would call overt attacks on the gospel. We can spot those and we can fight those. Oftentimes, what's more dangerous are covert attacks on the gospel. Covert attacks on the gospel happen when we start to compromise God's truth. When we start to look at this and we start to tell a story about it that might not be exactly what God intended. That happens a lot in our world. But where it's really dangerous is where it comes to salvation. And when it comes to the salvation of God to his people that he loves and cares for, when we start to mess with truth, we would say the gospel is under attack. And so listen to me. When Paul says you be unashamed of the gospel, what he's saying is you do not ever say that it says something it doesn't. What that means is that unless my brother, who I love like crazy, I, am, I, I love him like crazy, but unless my brother repents and accepts and, and confesses in his, with his mouth and believes in his heart and follows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that my brother is destined for hell. You've heard me talk about him before. That can't surprise you that that's, that's the truth. But I can't start to compromise that because he's, listen, he is a good guy. He is a really good guy. 
And, and you know what? We have churches. In fact, some of you, that probably makes some of you angry because some of you here might be telling other people or really truly believe that if you're a good enough guy, then this doesn't necessarily matter as much. Okay? And, and then we've got other um, covert attacks on the gospel, not just that being good enough is good enough, but, but things like you can rely on other things, like your, your baptism. Somehow, when you are baptized, God uses that. No matter what you believe, no matter what you say, no matter what happens, God uses that to save you. That's not in here. Or that it's your confirmation or your first communion or you're coming down and kneeling at the altar and having an altar call. That those things will somehow, they will make you right with the God of the universe. Those things are great. But the thing that makes you right with the God of the universe is believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's how it works. And so we have to be careful about covert attacks on the gospel. And Paul says, man, you have got to be unashamed because the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is what saves and it is always under attack. And then we get into the text for today, starting in chapter 2, um, and, and he tells us that not only do we have to be rooted in faith and we have to be unashamed of the gospel, but that we also, if we're going to show ourselves as approved for service, if we're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, when we meet our maker, then we are also going to have to do something called enduring. We are going to have to endure. Okay? And what's cool is, as we get into this text, you're going to love this, what we see is that there are a couple of ways that we get to endure. One, we get to endure hardship and suffering. I know I said get to, that's weird, right? But we get to endure hardship and we get to endure suffering knowing the outcome, right? And I don't know about you, how many of you really, really love baseball as much as I do? Okay, how many of you really love baseball? I know you guys do. I was thinking about Randy and Sue because they're Twins fans. I know. Talk to them about it later. And if you're unclear about what's been happening, the Cubs have been beating the Twins pretty badly over the last couple days. You're welcome. And, and in each of those games, though, there was a moment where it didn't look good for the Cubbies. They were down five. Yesterday, they were down three. But I knew the Cubs were going to win, so therefore, I could endure to the end. Actually, that's not true. I turned it off yesterday out of disgust. <laughs> I was like, I'm done with you guys. Uh, and then I turned it on later, and they had a five-run seventh, and it was great. But point being, though, uh, the point being, though, we can endure when we know the outcome, right? I can handle hard things knowing that it's going to be good. Um, listen, any of you that have babies know what this is like. Any of you that are going to have babies are going to learn this pretty darn soon. <laughs> As a kid cries in the background. <laughs> That's awesome. But we are going to endure pain, but we know that it's going to be good because of what happens next. Right, And so we, we read this text, and Paul is going to say, man, you have got to endure. You've got to endure. You've got to endure. But it's okay because we know what happens. Okay? And the other thing that we have to understand here is that we endure okay, because, and, and we're going to talk about this, and it's going to be hard for you to wrap your mind around, but we endure because if we do it right, 
we will outlive ourselves. Paul tells Timothy very clearly, and I'm telling you because it's, it's there for all of us to understand and know. If you live your life correctly, you will outlive yourself. If you live your life correctly, you will live your life in such a way that you will send well past your death. You will send ripples into eternity if you do it right. And so when Paul says endure, he's talking about right now, endure the hardship. But when Paul says endure, he's also talking about something that's so much bigger than that. He's talking about endure, leave a legacy, live well beyond yourself, make a difference. Okay, so this is good stuff. Let's get in here. We're going to start um, at the beginning of, of chapter two. Timothy, my dear son, we're going to stop there because... Um, Again, I want to remind you how awesome that is. Uh, and I want to remind you of, of this relational value in mentorship. If you need a mentor, stop waiting for somebody to ask you. Go up to somebody and say, hey man, will you mentor me? And if you are someone that, that, that is able to offer to mentor someone, I've told you this before, do what Troy Fincher did for me. Walk up to him, you know, walked up to me one day and said, hey, you know what, you're coming with me and we're going to figure out this Christian thing together. Okay, I, I'm asking you to take this seriously. Paul takes this seriously. And because Paul takes this seriously, it sent ripples across eternity. You and I are the direct beneficiaries of Paul taking this seriously, but this, this idea that, that we should be mentoring others. He says, look, Timothy, my dear son, tell you what, I'm so blessed this small group cycle. Uh, none of them are here right now. It's a good vacation week, and so um, this family's gone, but, but I, I happen to be in two small groups that are all about my kids um, this semester. And one of them is a father-son small group that Tracy and Chad are leading. And so part of that is, you know, you get together and there's just some, some, a little bit of Bible study and devotional and sharing life together. And then you go do guy stuff. Uh, it's girl stuff too, but for us, it's guy stuff. So, you know, it was bow and arrows last week. And uh, next time we're going to get to shoot some stuff and um, it's going to be good. I still have this terrible bruise on my arm though, <laughs> because apparently I don't know how to let the string go without hurting myself. Maybe there is no way. I don't know. Uh, and it's always easier when you watch Robin Hood. But we're sitting there. at the, None of that matters. That's not what I was telling you. We're sitting at the picnic tables before we even go shoot stuff. And my 15-year-old son is sitting there. And, and we're sharing just a little devotional. Um, and then it's a question of like, hey, let's talk about verses that matter to you and this and that. And, and I got a 19-year-old kid and a 22-year-old kid who are sitting there that don't need to be at the small group because it's designed for fathers and high school students, um, teenagers. Uh, but they said, you know what? Yeah, we'll come too. And, and, and I'm, my kid, who's 15 and struggling, is hearing from a 19-year-old and a 22-year-old who are much cooler than I've ever been, if you ask him. And they are telling him all about how to plug in. And they're not doing it fakely. They're saying, man, here's where I've struggled. Here's why it's so hard for me. And here's what I've learned in my struggle that maybe you can avoid. And, and there's this, this conversation that happens. And you know what? I'm just blessed to be able to have that because people take that seriously. This is a big deal. Timothy, my dear son, that relationship matters. 
okay? Take that seriously. When I say you're a missionary, take it seriously. Develop those relationships. Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. And so he says, Timothy, um, here's the deal. Uh, You and I are tight. We have this relationship. I've poured into you. You've responded to me. This is a a give and take. There's genuine love and affection for one another. And so he says, I'm going to give you this mandate. uh, and, And it's be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. That word be strong there, that is a uh, present imperative. That means continue being strong. This is not a one-time deal. This is Paul telling Timothy, look, because of, because of the grace that God has given you in Christ Jesus. What that means is because Jesus lived perfectly, because he laid down his life and died sacrificially, and because he was resurrected in power in that grace that God has given you. That is salvific grace. By the way, that is what saves you, nothing else. That is the pure gospel that Jesus lived. He died. He was resurrected. And when you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that's where salvation comes from. And he says, in the grace that God has given you, be strong. Man up. Be strong. Why be strong? Well, be strong because you and I both know that living the Christian life is not simple. That's actually a lie. Living the Christian life is very simple. You and I both know that living the Christian life is not easy. Living the Christian life outside of the walls of church, even inside the walls of the church, sometimes is not popular. Living the Christian life brings pressure. Living the Christian life means you make conscious decisions to sacrifice your time, your energy, your talent, your financial resources. And in in the sake of restoring eternal relationships, sometimes it costs you temporary ones. So Paul says to Timothy, man, listen, be strong, man up, toughen up, be bold, don't shrink away. But if you want to be approved, you must endure. So in the grace that God gives you through Jesus Christ, the salvation that you have, the new life that you have, the eternal position as a child of God, be strong. He keeps going. He says, he says Here, here's, how, <clears throat> here's how this works. He says, look, you've heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. This is now Paul saying to Timothy, I want you to be strong. And, and he starts with this thing and he says, so here's the deal. You've heard me teach. And it's not just me making stuff up. But the stuff I teach has been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Okay, so you're being strong, Timothy. Be strong in the grace that God has given you through Christ Jesus. That is the gospel message. Be strong in that. You've heard me teach it. It's been confirmed by reliable witnesses. And so you want to endure, here's what you do. You want to be strong, here's what you do. Teach it. Teach those truths to other trustworthy people who will then be able to pass them on to others. Paul says, if you want to endure, uh, you ever, who's seen the movie Gladiator? Okay, now there are two gladiators, and sometimes I get stuck. Because 
I love the movie Gladiator with Russell Crowe, you know, and um, we're, he's a gladiator. I don't mean to give anything away, but that's how the movie works. There's another movie called Gladiator that's awful. It's like a teenage boxing movie with Cuba Gooding Jr. and Brian Dennehy's in it. Listen, just check before you turn it on because that movie's awful. But anyway, the, the, the real gladiator, uh, you know, at the beginning is they're, they're, they're getting ready to go into battle and, and he says in inspiration to his troops that what we do now in life echoes throughout eternity. That's the point that, that Paul's making to Timothy. What you do here leaves legacy. And when you leave the right kind of legacy, it echoes through eternity. This is how you outlive yourself. Think of it simply, and then we're going to think about it in a more complicated way. The simple way is addition. In months to come, you are going to hear your leadership use the word multiplication a lot. Because that is how we take Benton County with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're going to use the word multiplication a lot. Okay, but think addition for a second. Addition is this. I teach the gospel to someone. That's me. I teach it to someone. That's one plus one, we're at two. And now he teaches it to someone, and that's three. And then he teaches it to someone, and now that's four. And that can keep going. And, and if we do that well, then the gospel will last a long time. There's nothing wrong with addition. But now think multiplication. Did I teach the gospel to multiple people? And each of them then takes the gospel and teaches it to multiple people. And now all of a sudden, I've taught it to four people. And each of them goes and they teach it to four people. And each of those go and teach it to four people. And you see how multiplication makes the gospel ripple through much faster. And we can accomplish things when we multiply ourselves that we can't accomplish when we add. That is more math than you're ever going to hear me share with you from the stage. It's more than I've got, okay? You'll notice I started talking about fours and fours, and I didn't give you numbers because I got lost, okay? It is what it is, but you get the idea, right? It works like this, right? Paul, and now Paul was, Paul was pouring into lots of men. This is just one family tree here that we get. Paul pours into lots of men, but in Timothy, he says, Timothy, here you go. I remember what I taught you that was confirmed by reliable witnesses. It wasn't like some secret truth I gave you. I gave you the gospel of Jesus Christ. I gave you the real deal, and you could confirm it, and here it is. Now you go, and you teach it to reliable men, reliable women. You teach it to people who are trustworthy. You know what trustworthy there means? It means they will not compromise it. They will not make it say something that it doesn't say. They will not tell you that being a good person is good enough. They will not tell you that getting water sprinkled on your head or getting your head dunked under the water is good enough. They will not tell you that saying words with your lips is good enough. They will tell you that you have to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you have to follow after him because that's the true gospel. He says, so Paul says to Timothy, I taught this to you a lot of reliable witnesses. Now you teach it to trustworthy who will not compromise people who will in turn teach it to trustworthy people who will then in turn teach it to trustworthy people 
And what you have to understand is that it's because Paul leads this way and because Timothy is true to the calling that Paul is giving him, because he stands up, he endures the hardship, because he does this, because he's strong in, in the grace that the God has given him through the Lord Jesus Christ, because he does this, that you and I are standing here in a church today. I mean, I, I know that sounds like, oh yeah, okay, sure, fine, but no, 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 I, I am being as serious as I can possibly be. The reason that you and I have the gospel of Jesus Christ available to us is because the early church fathers took this mandate seriously to go and share this trustworthy message to people that would go and share the trustworthy message. And it would go and go and go to the point where you and I get to sit here and we have the exact same mandate. And it's not a pastoral mandate. It's not, Matt, you go share the good news of Jesus Christ to reliable people so that they can have it and that they can know it and that they can be secure for all eternity happily in their homes. No, it's teach it to reliable, trustworthy people who will do what? Who will teach it to reliable, trustworthy people who will do what? Who will teach it? So here's my question for you, okay? Man, who are you teaching it to? I mean, that's what the text says. Now teach those truths to other trustworthy people. And you're like, I don't really know enough. I don't have my seminary degree. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and you choose to follow him, then you know what you need to know to get started. So who are you teaching those truths to? Because that's the call of this. This is how you endure well past your life. Okay? I, I know, I know, I know it's not easy. But I also know that it's pretty darn simple. It is what it is. And you know what happens sometimes? Is we get confused. This is, this is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause it. I'm going to step to the side for a second. And I'm going to say this is, because this is how we reach this is how we reach the multitudes that need to know Jesus. You heard about my brother. I don't live by my brother anymore. I talk to him on a regular basis, but I don't live by my brother anymore. And also, he's my brother. He's seen me do and say a lot of stupid things in my life. A lot of stupid things in my life. And so now when I say to him, Mike, you got to trust me on this one. He's like, yeah, okay, I hear you. But I'm remembering a lot of really stupid things you've done. My credibility, let's say this, my credibility with him might not be as good as it needs to be. But I hope and I pray that there are other obedient men and women in his life who will teach. Because that's the mandate they've been given as Christians. And it's not about blessed hope. I also want to be clear, it's not about blessed hope. We, we get confused sometimes. Vince and I were talking about this this last week, and, and we, we get, not Vince and I, well, we, we also get confused about this, but I think a lot of us get confused sometimes. We've got this idea of um, church loyalty, brand loyalty, and that's fine. I mean, I want people that call Blessed Hope home to be loyal to Blessed Hope Church, but more than I'm worried about them being loyal to Blessed Hope Church, we need to be loyal 
to the team that we play for. And the team that we play for is Christianity. That's why we have to play well with other churches too. That's why, look, man, that, that's why everybody that's asked us, we've said, man, you know what? You should go to VBS at Oak Grove. Oak Grove is going to run a great VBS. They've poured a lot of time and resources and money into it, not just for their own kids, but to be evangelistic. Okay, so if you're, great. It's why we say go to Celebrate Recovery at, at uh, Revolution on Wednesday nights. If you're trying to deal with, with some kind of hurt, hang up, um, or addiction, or something that is getting in the way of your growing clothes, go to Revolution. And, and I'm not worried about you being involved in ministries in other churches. The elders aren't worried about you being involved in ministries in other churches because we're all going the same direction. We need a new scoreboard. You know, our, our church scoreboards typically are this, butts in the seats and bucks in the offering plate. That's typically how we keep score, right? Are we healthy in our giving? And and are we healthy in our attendance? And those are great metrics. We need to worry about those things. Okay, are we growing in our attendance? And it's not because we want to be a huger church. Huger? That's not right. It's not because we want to be a, a bigger church that happens to be a huge church, whatever, it doesn't matter. But it's because we're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and we need people to hear it because there's people that don't know it. Okay, so people that show up, that's a big deal. But you know what? They don't have to be here. There are other churches that preach the gospel, and, and a church might fit them better, or they might end up there, and you know what? We're not out trying to steal people. For... The, the idea being that the kingdom in this city is what we're worried about. The number of people that claim Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior that live in this place, that's what we're worried about. Revival here that spreads to revival there, that's what we're worried about. That's the team that we play for. We need a kingdom scoreboard. When we think multiplication, we think kingdom scoreboard. Think multiplication. For you to think multiplication, you have to ask, who, who are you teaching? Who are you pouring into? Uh, he continues, uh, verse 3. So you endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Okay, so this is Paul talking. He's like, so here's the deal, right? Be strong in the grace given you. Um, through Jesus Christ. And he says, so take that and you teach it to other people and you endure suffering. It's not going to be easy to take it and teach it to other people. This is the point here, right? This is why we have to endure. It's not easy. So it's not going to be easy for you to take that message and you to multiply it, okay? But you endure in it as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And then he gives us these three easy examples that aren't really easy, very, but we'll, we'll, we'll break them apart. These three examples, he says, endure like a good soldier. And then he says this, soldiers, they don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life. Because when they do, they can't please the officer who enlisted them. And when Paul talks about this, um, he's very clearly talking about his context. His context is Roman soldiers. Roman soldiers might have families. They might have children. They might have other business interests. Many owned farms. But in that culture, you swore an oath. And your oath was, I am a soldier first. And I am everything else second. So Paul says, stand firm, endure 
like a good soldier. And then he says, soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life. Now listen, I am tied up in the affairs of civilian life. I'm married. I have children. I have mortgage payments to make. I have baseball games to get to. I have um, tied myself up in the affairs of civilian life. Um, I have a church home that I love. But I am a Christ follower first. So if God says, Matt, your family is going to hate it, but pack up your family and go to India, then we're going to pack up our family and go to India. Don't worry. I don't know something you don't. But that's the way that would work. Twenty-four-seven, three-sixty-five. Paul's referring to people that were soldiers first. They would be called away at a moment's notice. But I've got an anniversary party. Doesn't matter about your anniversary party. Your wife will be sad, but you're gone. You've got battle. And Paul says, "Have that mindset that you are a Christ follower first." He keeps going. And athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. And again, Paul's context, he's talking clearly about the Greek games that happened, and there were three things that had to happen. There were three rules to be followed to compete in the Greek games. One is you had to have the right heritage, the right birth. Two is you had to train for 10 months before you were allowed to participate, and you had to swear to a statue of Zeus that you had trained for 10 months. And then three, before the games even started, you had to take a pledge that you would compete to win within the framework of the rules. You had to do those three things before you were allowed to compete. And this is the context where Paul says, look, athletes can't win the prize unless they follow the rules. Christians cannot be on mission. They can't win at what they've been called to win unless they're willing to dig in. First of all, they have to be born again. They have to have the right heritage. And they have to train they have to study. They have to be immersed in God's word. They have to be in communion and relationship with God. They have to dig into a community of people that will tell them the truth. And then they have to compete to win. Some of you, you're made new in Christ. And you, you like to study. You like to go to small group. You like to do, do those things. And, and you're into that. But, but to be fair, you haven't competed yet. Some of you aren't competing. But man, if you want to endure, you've got to compete. You've got to try. You've got to contend. You've got to go ahead and engage people with this truth that is true about you, that you're learning all about. Well, all of that only works if you go do something with it to compete. It's necessary. And then finally, we get to the farmer. This is kind of the most confusing one here, but we're fine. Hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. The idea here is, too, that farmers, uh, and most of the farmers that Paul is referring to here would be what we would consider to be sharecroppers, right? They rent their land. Some of them might own it. And the idea here is, though, you've, you've got, it costs you to farm. Those of you that are farmers, you know it costs you to farm. It costs you quite a bit, okay? He says, but you also get to enjoy the spoils. You compete. You train to win. You're ready at a moment's notice to be on mission. You are always on mission. You are a Christ follower first. And you, and you train and you compete to win. Win by bringing the gospel and teaching it to trustworthy people who will teach it to trustworthy people who will teach it to trustworthy people. 
Okay? And then on top of that, you get to enjoy the fruits of your labor. It goes back to last week in, in chapter 1, verse 12, that I know in the one that I've trusted, and I'm convinced that he's able to keep everything that I've committed to him safeguarded for the day of his return for my account to my benefit. So when I pour out myself and I work hard for the sake of the gospel, I will enjoy those fruits. I will enjoy the spoils of that effort. I can enjoy it now and I'll be able to enjoy it for all of eternity. And he says this, he, he says, uh, the Lord will help you understand all these things. Because there's some complicated stuff there. And so he says, one, so engage this task as a soldier would. The, the, the Christian mission is your number one priority. Okay? Some of you, that's where you need to live right now. Some of you need to understand that the Christian mission is your number one priority. Because some of you have intellectually got that, but, but it is not working itself out in your life. This was me for a long time. I understood um, that I was on mission for a long time, well before I decided to do anything about it. But Paul says, no, 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 train like a soldier would. A soldier understands that the mission is not his, um, the, the mission is not negotiable. It's the number one priority. Train and compete to win as an athlete would. Don't be lazy in your mission, but actually put your training into practice and then enjoy the fruit of your labor. When you pour into others who pour into others, it's credited to your account. And so these are big deals and things that we have to understand because the call is to endure and we endure by spreading the gospel. Not just putting up with suffering, but thriving in the face of suffering. See, here's something that we have to understand. And it's about what the word endure means. To stand up under, not to slouch under, but to stand up under. See, some of us, we get this, this idea that when pressure comes, that's when we huddle in and we survive the storm. But what Paul is teaching is that when the pressure comes, we push through. And we don't just survive it, but we make a difference in the midst of it. We keep going. Always remember that Christ Jesus, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. This is the good news I preach. And because I preach it, I'm suffering and have been chained like a criminal. That's not new information. We, we read that at the very beginning of this letter. Uh, Paul says, by the way, here's the good news. Christ Jesus, descendant of King David, was raised from the dead, right? Salvation is found in him. Because I preach that good news, I am chained up like a criminal. They treat me like I'm a criminal because I say Jesus is Lord. That's not new information uh, for the disciples. That's been happening to the apostles since the beginning. It's not new information for Timothy. Timothy is well aware that Paul is in jail. He's probably been praying and heartbroken about Paul being in jail. Paul says this, though. He says, you know what? Relax, Timothy, because yes, this is the gospel, and yes, because of the gospel, I am in chains, but hey, here's something for you to understand, Timothy. Here's something for you to get. Here's something for you to get into your core being. The gospel will not be chained. You can chain me. You could kill me. They're going to. Paul knows it. You can chain me. You can beat me. You can kill me. All of those things will happen because of the gospel, but the gospel itself will not be stopped. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of God, will not, cannot be chained. One, because it's living and active. And you can't stop the word of God that is living and active. 
But Paul's also referring here to the fact that it doesn't end with him. Because he has taught it to trustworthy men who have taught it to trustworthy men who will continue to teach it to trustworthy men and it will outlive him by a wide margin. It's kind of like a virus, but in a good way. Paul's not worried about the gospel being chained, even though he is. So he can enjoy this. He has prepared like a soldier and he's trained like an athlete and now he is winning like a farmer. Saying, I'm enjoying, even though I'm chained up, I'm enduring because I'm enjoying the fruits of my labor in you, Timothy, and in the other people that he's poured into. He's prepared like a soldier, he, he's trained like an athlete, and now he's winning by enjoying the crop. Last thing here. He says this. He says, so I'm willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. I am willing to endure anything. And remember, if you know Paul's resume, he's endured it all. But he's not sad about it. He's not mad about it. He's not upset about it. I am willing to endure all of it because I know it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. Now, here's that this is a tricky thing that those God has chosen. Um, we could get into some real theological things here, something called the doctrine of election or the doctrine of predestination. Um, and there are people that fall on all sides of that issue. Um, and we could be good Christians and not agree on this issue. There are good churches that we love to minister with that wouldn't necessarily agree with us on this issue. But here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm not sure how to read that otherwise. And there are other texts in Scripture. If you're curious, you can look at doctrine of election, doctrine of predestination. Um, but there are some texts that seem to clearly indicate that there are those that Christ has chosen. Uh, the word that's used quite often is foreordained that Christ has chosen to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember, Christ lives outside of time. Jesus, I'm sorry, God lives outside of time. And so he's not going through today the way we are going through today, but it's all laid out before him. And what we read is that there are some that he has chosen to respond. And I'm not exactly sure what that means in the context of free will. That's the, the number one argument is, well, um, that's impossible if we really have free will. But I'm going to say that Scripture affirms both of those. It, it affirms a doctrine of election, and it also affirms a doctrine of free will. And we say, well, Matt, that doesn't make logical sense. And I say, I know. I get it. You know what else doesn't make logical sense that nobody argues with? The Trinity. Think about it. The Trinity doesn't make logical sense. What do you mean? You mean I got one God who exists in three indistinct separate entities but yet it's still just one God. It's not modes or kinds of a God. It's three distinct gods making up one triune God. I don't intellectually understand that, neither do you. I mean, if you think you do, you don't, right? There are tomes written about the doctrine of the Trinity, right? And the conclusion we come to is because it's affirmed in Scripture, we believe it. That's where good theology happens, and it's where wonky theology starts. Understand this. 
there are things in scripture that we are going to get to that are so far above us because there are secret ways of God. We can affirm only what we know. And then our human nature kicks in and says, well, we're going to fill in the gaps. Good theology stops here with what we can know. Wonky theology happens when we start to fill in the gaps with what we think we know. I know that God exists as one God with three distinct parts, three distinct individual within the one God. I'm going to stop there. I'm not going to tell you what that is because I would be making stuff up. I know that God talks freely in scripture about the fact that he is preordained, foreordained those that will choose to respond to him, and that God has also talked in scripture about the fact that it is incumbent on an individual in the freedom of his will to choose to follow God. Both of those are true, so I will stop there and say both of those are true. I can't figure out the rest. That's good theology. doesn't have to answer all the questions. It takes you as far as scripture understanding can allow you to go, and then it should stop. When you start to fill in everything else, you get some false doctrines, you get some false ideas about salvation, you get some other false things. Don't make the mistake. But Paul says this, I can endure because I know God wins. The whole crux of this is him saying, I endure because I know that it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those that God has chosen. God is going to win. But we have to be on mission. Paul says this elsewhere in Romans, is the last thing we'll do here. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? How can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell without being sent? And so um, we look at this from this context. It's our job to send you. And because we send you, it's your job to tell them. We send you, you tell them, they hear, then they can believe to be saved. But it doesn't happen without you going. We send, you go, they hear, then it's on them to believe, and then it's on God to bring salvation. But everybody has to do their part in this. We send, you go, they hear, the belief is on them, and when they believe, God does his part of bringing salvation, which he has promised to do for those that believe in the freedom of their will. This is how this works, and this is the mission that we have, and it's for everybody. It's the truth of the gospel that we get to celebrate. And that's actually what we're going to do with communion. Uh, I'm going to ask the, the elders uh, and, and Pastor Vince to come forward, and uh, we're going to go ahead, and the praise team also, and we're going to move into a time of communion. And here's what we're doing with communion. When we go to communion... We are celebrating this mission. That's what's happening. We're celebrating this mission. We are celebrating the fact that God, in his wisdom, has offered salvation to those of us that will respond in that truth. And as we take communion today, I'm going to ask you also to remember this. Remember that celebrating communion is an understanding and an acknowledgement of the mission that you're on. 
I sent you out a post, a Facebook message, and it was a, it was a, a note from Pastor Matt in the email that I send every week. Uh, by the way, back to Blake's thought earlier, if you don't get those, write your, your email address down and leave it at the Welcome Center. We'll make sure you get included. But, but in those things, uh, and I asked you to take some time to prepare yourself for communion. And so we're just going to have a minute of, of prayer. I'm going to lead us, and then we're going to respond silently with your own moment to pray. And these guys are up here. They can pray up here. Don't worry about them. Okay. Um, but as you're praying, you're doing a couple things. One is you're reflecting, God, I'm about, to, I'm about to celebrate your death and resurrection and the ushering into the family of God. I shouldn't do that lightly. Is there sin on my heart that I need to confess? And if you've got sin on your heart that you need to confess, confess it now. Don't come to take communion heavy with sin. That's a little bit like spitting in God's face and saying, thank you for dying for my sin. I'm going to celebrate that while holding on to some. Don't do that. Let it go. Let it go now in the quiet of your heart. Let it go. And at the same time, we understand that when we take communion, it's also a picture of this grand thing that's about to happen too. Yes, it happened on the cross. But he says, do this to remember. And he also says, we won't do this again until we do it new in the kingdom. That's coming. The kingdom is coming. And when you do this, you're saying, I believe that's coming and that's happening. This is this acceptance of the mission. It's this understanding of the mission. And so I'm going to ask you as we pray to really dig into what we're about to do and really do it with a a good, reflective, obedient heart. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the truth of communion. We thank you. We thank you that, that in that upper room that your body was broken, that your blood was, was poured out, or at least the, the picture was painted of your body being broken and your blood being poured out, that you passed the bread and, and, and that you told us to, to eat this in remembrance of what was about to happen to you. And you poured the cup and said, drink this, remembering this picture of the new covenant that we get to enter into when we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord. And so God, as Christ followers here, as we take communion today and we eat the bread and, and we drink the, the cup, God, let us have pure hearts and let us have open minds and let us have quick feet that are obedient to the mission that you've laid on us. So God, we'd like to take a minute now and, and anybody, God, anybody that's holding on to sin, God, would you just bring that to the front of their mind so that they can deal with that sin and they can let it go now. God, as you bring that sin to mind, whether it's the sin of anger, um, the, the sin of, of uh, bitterness, or the sin of just committing acts that we know you would not agree with, God, and you've brought it to our mind, help us to confess it.
Father, with hearts that have confessed, give us the encouragement and the boldness and the power of the Holy Spirit to live free from that sin and to revel in the sacrifice that you made on the cross and to revel in the good news of the resurrection and the promise of eternity through your new covenant. God, we just love you and we praise you. Amen. So at this point, um, I'm going to invite you by Rose to come and enjoy communion. Uh, if you're not quite ready when it's your turn, you can feel free to stay seated and then join in somewhere else. Um, I would encourage you this when you're done taking communion. Um, you may feel free to come and pray reflectively or you may leave quietly. Um, I would just ask that you do so respectfully of those that are still uh, taking communion. Okay? One more time. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for your sacrifice. Thank you for your words today in Scripture. Thank you for the call that is so clear that we are to live as missionaries who teach the truth to people who will teach the truth who will teach the truth. And the truth that we're teaching is Christ crucified. And that's what we celebrate here through communion. God, we love you and we praise you. Amen.